You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schliff. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore dat out. So today, we're going to be recapping day three a little bit. As I've said before, we've got lots and lots of days to uh, dive deeper into certain things, so I kind of want to just touch on each one of these picks. I don't really have a uh, my guy in day three. As of right now, my, my guys are Darnell Savage and Jay Sternberger. Not that my guy needs means anything. I'm just relaying that information to you. Really, really like Jay Sternberger. Really like Darnell Savage. Everybody else is awesome. Hopefully they can contribute. But I don't really have this, like, you know, gut feeling this guy's going to be a freak. Before we get into it, though, a little preliminary action. All this information, by the way, is in the description. If you haven't done it yet, please be sure to check out the new merchandise. It's the first link because it's just that important. Real excited about it. Uh, There's going to be some more of that stuff to come, but this is sort of the inaugural Pack Daddy Packernet podcast t-shirt. Got short sleeve, long sleeve hoodies and uh, koozies. Thank you once again to all my Patreon supporters. Uh, Anybody interested in helping to support the podcast? Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. You can get involved for as little as a buck a month. Basically free. Otherwise, there is PayPal and Venmo if you want to do a one-time deal. Facebook group, be sure to get into the Facebook group. Thank you for everybody who joined the Facebook group. Uh, NFLBigBoard.com still has last year's um, board, I guess, but I already, I, I almost didn't even start the podcast. I had to rip myself away because I started working on the 2020 board because I'd like to have that done by today. Probably won't be, but that's going to be a goal of mine. Any questions or comments, please call 608-501-0718. Again, I know I have a bit of a backlog there, but keep sending them in. I'll get to them, I promise. Otherwise, as I've said, if you are planning on getting a PFF subscription, uh, it's real good if you want to dive into that. We'll be doing it a little bit today, but to kind of dive into that to look at the prospects that we drafted. Uh, There is a link in the description. It doesn't cost any extra money. I just get a little bit kicked my way. So just remember that. Lastly, iTunes ratings and reviews. When we get 31 more iTunes reviews, I'm going to be giving away a PFF subscription for free. If you're interested in that, please leave a five-star rating and review and then send me a screenshot of that. I'll add you to the list and uh, best of luck to you. So anyways, we'll take a little break and um, we'll get into it. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. So the first pick of day three was Kingsley Kiki who is similar to Rashawn Gary, sort of an interior, exterior kind of guy. 
he primarily um, primarily played inside until I believe this last year, and then he trimmed down I think 20 pounds. They put him on the outside, and he kind of was that versatile piece inside and outside. So if we first of all head over to my little spreadsheet here, um, Kingsley was actually 14th out of 41 defensive tackles. So that's pretty solid for a fifth round pick. But the one thing that I do think is interesting um, is the fact that he's almost entirely talked about as far as his pass rush ability. But in terms of everything that I can see here, he's more of a run defender than anything. So for example, if we start by looking at PFF grades, Run stopping, they gave him an 86.7. Pass rush, they gave him a 66.2. So very good run stopping ability um, and then average pass rush. In terms of his pass rush productivity, which is, again, looking at your statistics but weighting heavier towards sacks over hits and hurries, blah, 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 he had a 4.5 out of 10. His run stop percentage was 8.8, which is a 5.87 out of 10. And then his pass rush percentage, which is the number that I like to use the most, which is just percentage, how many times when you try to get to the quarterback are you getting there? That's regardless of hits, hurries, or sacks. It was 7.58. And remember, I'm, I'm looking for the guys that we have now are like 12%, and that's pretty solid. You want to at least have 10%. You get down below that, and it's not great. He was 7.58. So I know a lot of people looked at his sacks and said, well, 7.5, that's pretty high. Well, that doesn't account for how many times did he affect the quarterback overall, and then how many times was he trying to. So the overall percentage is not good. Out of 10, that's a 3.79 out of 10. To put that further into perspective, he would be the 28th ranked defensive tackle on my list. Relative athletic score uh, was 7.99, so not too bad. I think the one really cool thing about him, though, it's, it's funny when you listen to these press conferences, you kind of get a vibe for which guys they really, really, really like. There is no question the Green Bay Packers are super high on Rashawn Gary. I got a very similar feeling from Kingsley Kiki. Maybe it's just those kinds of positions they really like. I don't know. But the way they talked about him and his versatility and all that, they, they were just glowing. And I'm talking about Gutekunst and uh, uh, whatever his name is, Wells or Will or something. I don't know. The guy who talked about him at the press conference. But essentially, the, the, the thing that they like about him the most is it seems like he has everything that you could possibly ask to be, number one, that versatile piece that Mike Pettin wants, but also, he has all the physical traits to be an incredible pass rusher. So they said that he, he has a certain body type so that if they wanted to trim him down to play in that Rashawn Gary role where we can put him on the edge, put him on the inside, we can do that. He said we could even bulk him up and make him a nose tackle if we wanted to because he just ha has that kind of a frame. They said he's, he's, they didn't really use these words necessarily, but it was somewhat cerebral. Um, maybe that's not the right... He, he's a technician when it comes to how to rush the passer, how to do all these kinds of things. His, his, you know, leverage, what he does with his hands, it's, it's incredible what he does. So the impression I got is the Packers feel that with some refinement, which is true of all these guys, but especially Kingsley Kiki, they looked at it as with some refinement, especially, you know, the reputation of our defensive line coach, this guy can be something special. Now, I believe based on what I've heard, they're going to try him first and foremost. And again, versatile piece, so he'll move around all over the place. But primarily, he's going to be a three technique, which it's funny using that terminology, which is a 4-3 kind of terminology, but we're probably going to be more 4-3 than 3-4 anyways. So he's going to be essentially a 4-3 defensive tackle that is going to try to shoot gaps and get penetration into the backfield. So again, somewhat of a weird dynamic, because I'm looking at this going, okay, this guy's just a straight-up run defender, and then the Packers are talking about, yeah, but this dude has special tools, and he's just scratching the surface of his ability. So we'll see. 
it's kind of a dangerous game to play when you're when you're drafting based on potential. That's what, kind of what we did with Rashawn Gary. Hopefully it's going to pan out because if it does, we're going to have a lot of really big hits. Kingsley Kiki is going to be a steal in the fifth round. However, the bust potential of guys like that is also relatively high. In other words, they don't have it, but they can get there. It's kind of funny if you look at what Lance Zerline said, it, it kind of fits that profile, and this is just a snippet of it. But you, you read certain weaknesses like full potential as a rusher is not always on display inconsistent charge as an upfield rusher and then this one here defaults to a bull rush despite his athletic quality so again it just sounds like he's got it all sitting there he just needs to figure out how to put it all together meaning he may have been had he been coached up a little bit better had he you know used his attributes a little bit better he might have really blown up in college and gotten you know 10 and a half sacks and been a second round prospect I think that's kind of what the Packers are banking on here but either way, as it stood, again, I've got him at 12th overall. Um, you know, the Lance Zerline thing on NFL.com says he's a third or fourth round guy, and we got him in the fifth round. So uh, the, the the Packers, and you listen to Gutekunst again talk about this, their desire to make this work. And it almost feels like a rebuild for the defense in a way. You know, we're, we're kind of getting away from the Kyler Fackrells, and we're trying to get a bunch of these guys. The, you know, from the smaller you know, 270-pound defensive end to, you know, at the biggest were, you know, Kenny Clark 315 or whatever. But they all have that, you know, Kenny Clark is pretty light and athletic for a quote-unquote nose tackle. And then all of our pass rushers, instead of going for the 250-pound speed bend guys, we're getting these giant brutes that can also kick inside and play defensive tackle. So we just got a pile of these certain prototypical type guys. And again, instead of getting the you know, 15, 10, 12 sack production outside linebackers that can't do anything but occasionally get around the outside of the edge. These are all, you know, 11, 12% of the time they can get there. But we've, again, we've got five of them across the board. So 12 times five, we got 60, 60% of snaps. You know, we're getting some kind of production or pressure. And the, the rotational ability to have guys on the outside, then move them inside to run stunts and twists, because there's just, there's, there's not a lot of limitations. So it's it's kind of twofold. On one hand, it's somewhat of a rebuild getting our defensive coordinator the kinds of guys that he prefers as opposed to the guys that Ted Thompson had been stacking up on pr- primarily for the benefit of um, Dom Capers. But then on top of that, getting lots and lots of these guys. And if you, again, listen to Gutekunst, he kind of was saying coming into this, as much as we all looked at it and said, hey, we're kind of good here now, he was saying he didn't feel good about where we were. Now he does. We've got enough guys that can do enough things so that Mike Pettin can run his, his defensive scheme the way that he wants to, which also implies last year he didn't exactly have everything he needed, not even including all the injuries. He just didn't exactly have the, 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 the pieces that he wanted to be able to fully you know, open up the book entirely. He had to kind of shorten it and, and tighten it up a little bit. But now he can kind of unleash his full fury on the rest of the NFL. And that's going to be fun to watch. And it, I mean, there's and there's no question that primarily, as much as we have invested in corners and all that kind of stuff, it definitely seems like the primary focus of Mike Pettin's defense is the front. Whether you want to call it pass rush or the trenches or whatever, I think it's a little bit of both. That's where it all starts and everything else just kind of falls into place. And when you have, I mean, that really that's what Vic Fangio did in Chicago. Right, that's why you had a bunch of corners that were just kind of okay suddenly just blow up. And they have, you know, the best safeties in the NFL for several years, despite being fifth round, fourth round picks. A lot of it has to do with the abilities up front. 
So that's going to be the main thing, I think, for this defense is to really just dominate up front and then have adequate guys. I mean, with, with Savage and his ability to cover a huge range, and I'm, I just, you know, by the minute, I'm loving that pick more and more. I don't want to go back and talk about it again, but man, am I excited about him. But you got the safeties and you got the corners that are, are good. But with this particular scheme and with the front, if everything kind of works up there the way that he needs it to, and, you know, maybe we get a little bit of a boost from Oren Burks, you're going to see a massive boost in the what the corners and safeties are doing as a result of what we're doing up front, which seems to definitely be the focus of Mike Pettin and Brian Gutekunst. So hopefully that can pan out. There's, there's a lot of reason to believe that Kingsley Kiki can be and will be a, a big part of this defense. Rotational, obviously, but still, there, there are certain situations. And, and the ability to rotate, right? When we had it before where basically it was Kenny Clark and Mike Daniels, You've only got two, which isn't great, but it's it's still kind of cool. We got two studs, but then you got to pull them once in a while, and you, you end up sometimes out there with, you know, I I remember seeing like third and twelves where you got a bunch of guys that you don't want any of them out there. Like where's Kenny and where's Mike Daniels? Like what is go? You got to rotate your guys, and if you have a constant rotation, a constant like four quarters of of dominant defensive line play, that's just awesome. Charles Walls is his name. Thank you very much. The scout that I was thinking of. Also, as a final note, I forgot that I did this, but on my spreadsheet, and I don't think I added it to the one that you can see on Patreon, I'll have to do that, but I do have rounds, uh, round grades, what round I think people will go. Kingsley Kiki, I had a fourth round grade on. So again, across the board, uh, seemingly a pretty good value. So we'll take another break, and then we'll start talking about the newest cornerback addition to the Green Bay Packers. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So in the sixth round, the Packers added a couple of guys that you just can't help but really, really want to root for. And uh, the first of them is Kadar Holman. Now, although I didn't exactly get the same vibe that I got, uh, that I did for Rashawn Gary and Kingsley Kiki, um, the biggest takeaway I got from uh, Kadar Holman is that he's a try-hard guy. Essentially, as the story goes, as he tells it, um, after high school, he didn't get any scholarship offers. So he would send out letters with, um, I don't know how exactly you digitize this, maybe it was just emails, but he was contacting, I don't know how many, but a lot of different schools, their recruiters, their coaches, lots of levels of coaches, and he would write like a paragraph about himself as well as attach his highlights to it. Eventually he got Toledo to bite, and he realized it was a good opportunity, so he went over there as a walk-on. In 2014, he redshirts, doesn't play at all. In 2015, he only gets on the field for two games and only makes two tackles. 
The next year, though, in year three at Toledo, uh, he gets a scholarship. He starts eight of 13 games, gets 33 tackles, eight pass breakups. Then in 2017, which would be his junior season, 35 tackles, seven pass breakups. And finally, in his senior year, year five, um, he led the uh, he led the conference with 12 pass breakups, 43 tackles, and a pick. So it's, it's he's kind of a grinder, right? Nothing's been handed to him, but he, he, he ended up a walk-on, ended up getting a starting gig, and, and producing fairly well uh, for Toledo. Then he gets his pro day opportunity and absolutely tears it up. Primarily, the biggest uh, thing was his 4-3-8 40-yard dash, which was pretty blazing fast. Uh, he also did well the bench, uh, the vert, and his three-cone. Overall, he had a 9.22 relative athletic score. It was also fun listening to his interview because it just, I think you get the impression with Kadar Holman that if there's any way, if there's any possibility, if there's any ability in him physically and mentally to be able to be a starting cornerback in the NFL, he's going to get there. He doesn't take anything for granted, and he's going to fight and scratch and claw uh, to be able to keep going. That's what he's done this whole time, and that's what he's going to continue to do. So the question is, can he get there? But I, I don't have any any doubts in my mind that he's the kind of guy that's not going to take this for granted and is going to keep going. Now He started talking about how he needed to work on the, the mental part of the game. Now he's got 4.38 speed or whatever I said it was. But as I've also mentioned, your 40 time is only a part of the equation. Mental processing is a biggest, probably the bigger part of the speed equation on the field, right? Knowing where to be on the field, knowing when to start running in what direction. I mean, you can get a head start so that a, a 4.5 guy gets there before a 4.38 guy does, just because you understand what to do and where to be on the field. But obviously, he's got all the tools that are necessary, and he talked about wanting to slow the game down, and I'm sure he's going to work real hard at that. He also talked about... Uh, wanted to work on his, his production. He didn't have a lot of interceptions at Toledo. He wants to be able to make sure that he gets his hand on a few balls. Because again, he understands he's got a long road and he's probably got less than a 50% chance of making it to that second year contract to be able to make this his his career. So he knows he's got to show up. He's got to be able to understand this stuff and he's got to make those opportunities shine because as silly as it is, you know, if a guy like Jair Alexander walks on as a first round draft pick and never gets his hand on a single ball, he's going to start day one. If a sixth-round draft pick comes out and doesn't get his hand on a few balls, he might not make the 90-man roster. There's just a higher standard of, of proving that you can do something and be something special to win a spot. Now, I don't think he's not going to make the roster. I think there's there's plenty of room uh, as far as DBs go, but he still has to prove it. And um, again, I, I don't think there's any question that he knows that. So I, I like him, and I'm, I'm definitely rooting for him, just as a, as, a, as a person, as far as his character. Now, to get to the fun part, I didn't actually have him on the spreadsheet, so it was pretty exciting to be able to add him. And it, it's fun because as you input things, some of the calculations start to take over, and, you know, it inputs a grade, and it, you see the fun. It's like, oh, man, this is this is kind of cool. And then, again, I got him on my, my main page here. So, um, first of all, we'll, we'll start with the fun news first. His overall grade was a 74.51, so 74 out of 100, and that's a fourth-round grade. So, again... Got a fourth-round grade on a guy that we got in the sixth round. He's actually pretty impressive in a lot of his attributes. So, first of all, Toledo, as much as it seems like it's a small school, it's not that small. Um, as His strength of schedule grade was a 5.77 out of 10. So, it's not really a, that small of a school, although it kind of seems like it. His pass rush, he never really did it. So, I had to take a grade from like three years ago and input it. So, it's not very high. I would assume he's actually going to be a little bit better at it than, you know, just based on his speed, right? You put him close to the line of scrimmage and run straight at the quarterback, he's got a pretty good shot. But he never really did it, so that's what that is. He actually had the fifth highest uh, run defense grade of all corners, and I've got 34 corners on my board here. 
Uh, the only guys that were higher, um, Elijah Holder, Rocky Sin, Chris Boyd, and Amon Marshall. So that was really, really impressive. Coverage grade was kind of mediocre. He was 18th out of 35, so right smack dab in the middle. Uh, his PFF grade was a 78.8, so it, it was a good grade. Uh, his yards per coverage snap, he gave up 0.97 yards, which is a 7 out of 10. Tackling grade was a, or a his tackling, whatever PFF uses, is 15.33, which his grade was an 8 out of 10 on tackling. So again, pretty solid. You know, it's one of the things you worry about when you got a smaller guy that's really fast. You're thinking, okay, well, hopefully he can cover because he probably can't tackle. That's not the case with him. Catch percentage, which is looking at um, the percentage of time when you're targeted, it converts into a catch. Uh, he actually had a 10 out of 10 grade. I think most guys actually did because, you know, when you compare college grades to how it translates, I took the NFL standard and applied it to the college grades. There's quite a few, probably half the guys on your at 10 out of 10, but 45.3, just to give some perspective, at an NFL standard is incredible. Basically, any, anything under 50% is really good. Um, again, his interception rate was really low as 1.17 picks per 1,000 targets. So not great, one out of a thousand passes. Now, actually, actually, that's not even true. It's one per thousand snaps. So you, you got to figure how many snaps are passes, and then how many of those are targets toward him, and then how many does he get his hand on. But still, out of 10, it's a 1.95 out of 10 was his grade, so not very good at all. To give a little context, Byron Murphy had 4.42 interceptions per thousand snaps. Uh, his pass deflections were quite a bit better, 8.18 per thousand, which is uh, 5.11 grade out of 10. Again, not great, but definitely a lot better than his interceptions. Passer rating grade, he had an 8 out of 10, 75.3 passer rating when targeted, so not bad there. Relative athletic score, as I said, 9.22, and then his overall pro football focus grade was actually an 8.13, so PFF definitely liked him. He had a, you know, 80, 81 is considered very good. So, real good football player. I had, you know, 14th overall out of all the corners. A um, couple notable names that I had him higher than, Hamp Cheevers, Amani Aruarie, um, Chris Boyd, Michael Jackson. I don't know who people know and don't know, but <laughs> some of the some of the names I've heard more of. The other thing I actually thought was kind of cool is, is how many of these guys that I actually had low on my list that I felt needed to be higher, like Amani Aruarie, that actually ended up falling in the draft. So it's kind of a kind of a cool little deal there. Greedy Williams, who I had falling into, the, or who did fall into the second round, I had ninth. But anyways, yeah, it's, it's, um, I think all these guys that we're talking about, with the exception of our next prospect, um, are probably going to be projects that um, you know are, are fighting to get on the roster. I think Dexter, who we're going to talk about next, is, is probably a pretty solid lock. I don't know if he's going to be a good football player, but I think he's a lock to make the roster just because of the lack of depth. But anyways, once again, take a little break, and uh, we'll get into, I think it'll be our last break. So we'll talk about Dexter Williams and then our seventh-round pick, Ty Summers, after this. So Dexter Williams, again, I said, uh, you know, the sixth-round guys are the guys you want to root for. I'm sure you saw the video, but if not, there was a, a pretty, um, I don't know how else to say it other than a touching video that uh, they showed during the draft. But essentially, Dexter Williams' mom is, is, has two incurable diseases, and um, they, they kind of know that her time is limited. So, um, you know, again, Dexter's just a, a guy that's fighting hard and, and wants to make his mom and his family proud. And just, just based on that alone, it's like, man, I really, really want this guy to do well. And it's, it's one of those cool things, too, where, you know, football's kind of one-dimensional in terms of what we want. We want the best players, don't care who they are, come in here, play well, and make the Packers win a Super Bowl. But occasionally, you kind of get invested in somebody for whatever reason, sometimes dumb reasons like, you know, 
the guy went to where I grew up or something crazy. I don't know. Hey, he's a Whitewater guy. I went to Whitewater. I want him to do well. But it kind of feels cool when you when you root for the person based on, you know, I don't know, the person. <laughs> I don't just want him to do well because it makes the be- the Packers better. I want him to do well because I want him to do well. And as soon as I saw that video, I thought, man, it would be cool if the Packers ended up drafting him, and we did. So it's it's cool because I get to root for him as opposed to him being a, you know, if the Bears would have picked him up or something, be like, ah, I'm sorry, man, I just I just can't. <laughs> I can't root for you. I wish you the best and all, but um, I will not root for the Bears. I'm sorry. So Dexter weighed in at 5'11", 212 pounds. A little bit small for, uh, for the guys that we like. Usually 5'11", 220. That's what we're shooting for here. He's going to have to eat a couple donuts while he's in... Uh, Get him hooked on some cheese curds or something. Just not too crazy. We had we've had problems with running backs getting getting carried away with cheese curds. <laughs> I hope Eddie Lacy doesn't listen to this podcast. I love Eddie Lacy and all, but you, you can't not make a fat joke once. That's my one. Just let me have my one. Um, he was actually a pretty highly recruited guy. He was thought to be the next big thing. He ends up going to um, going to Notre Dame. He's going to take the field. He's going to take the world by storm. Well, for whatever reason, he described it as. You know, just kind of being around the wrong people or whatever, but he ends up getting arrested, um, not only for marijuana possession, but he had a handgun without a license. So drugs and guns, you know, it's not a super good look. But uh, later, a different teammate said, no, no, that was my gun, whatever. So he gets suspended. He comes out. He plays really well. It didn't, it wasn't exactly the storybook thing that he was hoping for, you know, wanting to be the lead back and, and, you know, get all the, get all eyes on him and whatnot. But he still ended up being pretty productive. I mean, in his junior year, he averaged 9.2 yards per carry, which is just ridiculous. But uh, it wasn't until his senior year that he became the uh, the top rusher. He ended up getting suspended again. Don't know exactly what that is, but um, sounds like there's some issues there. Hopefully that doesn't carry over. Uh, he's got a nickname, Juice, which apparently is because of his infectious personality. So he sounds like he's a real good locker room guy. He's just got to keep his head on straight and, and, you know, not make bad decisions and whatnot. But overall, listening to Gutekunst or whoever it was talking about him and, and his production or whatever, essentially it just came down to scheme, and they thought that he was going to be a perfect scheme fit. You know, he doesn't have, and I'm, I'm going to go through his, his grades and whatnot, he doesn't have a lot to go on as far as his, you know, his, his numbers weren't super great, um, his elusiveness, all that stuff, but what he is is just kind of a one-cut-and-go guy, which is exactly what you're looking for, especially, you know, any zone scheme, but especially outside zone. You're just running to the sideline, waiting for something to develop, waiting for that one hole, and then burst through it. And I kind of see him as just sort of a Jamal Williams type of guy. He has the potential to do some pretty special stuff, but he's more or less going to be probably that three to four yards a carry kind of guy. But, um, you know, we'll we'll see what Matt LaFleur is able to do, and if he really is a good scheme fit, this could be a real good pickup. And, um, you know, I expect it to be a good running back room. There isn't a whole lot to worry about. If he can play up to the standard of Jamal Williams, I don't think there's really any concern. You know, as long as Aaron Jones is healthy, he's going to be the number one guy. Jamal, we know, can can handle a good workload and be productive on the field. And again, if, if we just have another guy that's as good or nearly as good as Jamal Williams, I think it's going to be a successful uh, successful pickup. So for Dexter Williams, his overall PFF grade was 77.4, so good, not great. Run grade was 79.8, which is good, not great. Uh, run grade was um, 24th out of 41. Also not a very good receiver. I know some guys want to fight me over that, but we don't have very good receivers, and I don't think we added one. Uh, 27th out of 41, he had a 59.1 uh, receiving grade, which is less than average. It's not good. His blocking was actually pretty terrible. 48.7 was the grade they gave him. 
he ranked 35th out of 41. Elusiveness also wasn't great. Again, this isn't his strong suit. He's not going to make a lot of people miss. It's just a one cut and go. But he graded 36th out of 41, one of the lowest ranked uh, guys, a 2 out of 10 for his elusiveness. One of the things he was very, very good at, however, which seems somewhat counterintuitive, but not necessarily depending on the scheme, right? You don't have to be elusive in order to make big game, get big gains and his breakaway percentage or breakaway numbers, whatever, 7th. The only guys that were better, Darwin Thompson, Kadre Olison, Adam Choice, Bruce Anderson, Daryl Henderson, and Rodney Anderson. So that's kind of a cool thing, you know, because that's, that's sort of what all that matters anyways is being productive on the field. You know, regardless of how you get the big gain, whether it's because you're super elusive and you make guys miss, or if it's just you're a smart runner who finds the hole and can burst for several yards and drag a couple of guys for two more yards, and that's how you end up getting most of your yards, I'm all for it. Um, yards per carry, another area where he was fantastic. In fact, he was fifth overall out of all these running backs. So again, productive, not maybe the the, the smoothest, you know, most creative, crazy, making guys miss runner, but he makes it work. So fifth, the only guys ahead of him, Damian Harris, Bryce Love, Darwin Thompson, and Daryl Henderson. 6.4 uh, was his yard per carry average. However, again, kind of putting this whole picture together, uh, percentage of times not tackled on first contact, he was 39th out of 41. So, you know, he again, he's, he's not making guys miss, and usually when somebody gets them, they bring them down. But in the right scheme, if he's able to just use his mind to find that hole and get through it, he can he can take chunks. So he'll be he'll be fun to watch. And I, again, I, I kind of see that as being similar to what Jamal Williams is. You watch him and you watch him, and it's like, eh, you know, whatever, ho hum. And then occasionally he just he just tears one off. So I'm 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 really excited. It, it's you know it, it might be more of a character locker room kind of thing with him when you got a guy named Juice who's just got a great personality, and you think of Jamal Williams, who's one of my favorite guys on this team because of his personality. I love you know he's dancing all the time and he's getting people fired up. I feel like. Him and Dexter Williams together is going to be a crazy duo. And, and, you know, Aaron Jones is an awesome guy as well. He just seems like the most polite, kind person um, that you'd ever come across. Uh, overall, his relative athletic score, um, although it's not exactly off the charts, 8.12 is pretty solid. Overall, though, I gave him a 23. Um, 23 out of 41 was his overall rank. 68.66, so not super high. As far as his round grade, I had a fifth round grade on him, so it was a it was a good pick up in the sixth round at the end of the sixth round or second sixth round pick so again I, I think he's going to start I think he'll be our number three I don't know if he's going to surpass Jamal I hope he does you know obviously we picked him up this is the first running back we've drafted since we've had Lafleur. so you know not to say that the guys we don't that we already have aren't going to be a good fit but it wouldn't be that surprising if we found a guy that fits Lafleur's scheme a little more perfectly than the guys we have so he, he might have a, a little bit of an advantage there I don't ever see him surpassing Aaron Jones. If he does, I'm going to be the happiest man alive. But either way, again, I don't think there's any chance he doesn't make this roster. I think he's going to be a quality starter for the team as the number three running back. Finally, Ty Summers. Um, I've said it a thousand times, and I'll continue to say it. Essentially, what we get in this guy is somebody with all the tools you need. It's just a matter of whether he can put it all together. And that's sort of what Gutekunst had talked about with these later rounds. You're kind of looking for high upside guys that clearly aren't there, right? If, if they were pro-ready, they wouldn't go in the seventh round. Anybody that can step on the field and play today is getting drafted by now, probably third, fourth round at the latest. I guess I shouldn't say that. It depends on, on position and all those kinds of things. Again, Dexter's probably going to be starting right away. But Ty's at six foot one, 241 pounds. Uh, 4.51 speed is pretty blazing fast. 
he he excelled at just about everything. His 20-yard, 10-yard split, his bench, his vert, 36 inches, 27 on the bench, 1.6, 10-yard split, 2.6820. 10-foot, uh, 3-inch broad jump, and his three-cone of uh, 7 seconds. Pretty much off the charts for every, I shouldn't say off the charts, but 9.7 relative athletic score. So he's a... He's a high upside guy in, guy in terms of his athleticism, so there's nothing he physically can't do, which is kind of the, the starting point. From there, it's a matter of can we teach you how to be a, you know, a better football player to be productive for our team because you take that leap from college into the pros, you're expected to do a lot more, and, and it's just a matter of some people just can't do it. And if nothing else, there's probably a good chance that um, it's going to take time to develop those kinds of skills, so you, you take a little bit more time and, and uh, try to develop them. Think of, you know, Kendall Donerson from last year. We talked about him being just off the charts, kind of freakish. His build and his athleticism was parallel to Khalil Mack, but he's a seventh-round pick for a reason. He's got all the tools. Can he kind of turn that corner? So hopefully, you know, that's a guy you look at and say, okay, year two, you've had a little bit of time to learn the system. Let's see if we can put some of that, that athleticism to good use. So anyways, I do have him on my sheet here. Another guy that I had... Um, Funny enough, he's one spot ahead of Mac Wilson, which Mac Wilson also fell. Pretty funny. But anyways, I had him 22nd out of 34, 68.76 overall grade, so pretty similar to Dexter Williams. Again, the athleticism is all there, but you look at things like his tackling efficiency. He had a 2.39 out of 10 overall grade, just not good enough. <laughs> uh, five, uh, Basically a 5 out of 7 on his run stop percentage, so his ability to imp- impact the play in front of him was, I guess, average. Pass rush grade via PFF was 74, so decent. Run defense grade is 69, so, you know, average. And his coverage grade was 66, so again, average. But his relative athletic score, 9.72. So overall, I had him... Um, as my 285th prospect with a 6th round grade. So again, getting him in the 7th round, not too shabby. Don't have super high expectations, but he's a 7th round pick. And again, all the tools that you could possibly expect. We'll see what he can do. Real quickly, I want to go back and kind of look at, because I haven't looked at these rounds quite yet. So just to kind of give an idea of where people fell based on my particular uh, grading scale here. The funny thing is, um, I mentioned Rashawn Gary is the only one that I have with a a secondary grade, and he ends up being on this team, so that's kind of interesting. But Rashawn Gary um, didn't have a super crazy high score on him. 51st overall prospect, a second-round grade on him. Again, this is a spreadsheet thing. This isn't me scouting him and, and putting my grade on what I think or anything. It's just aggregating all the information I can and trying to weight what I think is most and least important, and this is just kind of what came out the other side. Darnell Savage, the guy I like a, a very, very much lot. Thank you very much. I had him 188th overall with a fourth round grade. So whatever, I don't care. I like him a lot. And it, it, Again, I don't want to just talk about him over and over again, but the thing that I really like, and I remember hearing this probably, I don't know, two years ago, and it kind of stuck with me. Guys like Earl Thomas are very, very, very rare. That kind of skill set. I'm not saying Darnell Savage is going to be Earl Thomas, but what I'm saying is, the ability to get a guy that has those kinds of, of that, that kind of range, that sideline to sideline ability is extremely rare, and you usually just don't get the opportunity to even draft guys like that. Again, Eddie Jackson and Adrian Amos, as good as they were for the Bears, neither of those guys really has what Darnell Savage has. Now, is Darnell Savage going to even be good in the NFL? I have no idea. But his ability to do those kinds of things 
is very rare. And I think that's sort of the reason the Packers did what they did in moving up to go get him, because he has very rare abilities that you just, you're not always going to get the opportunity to get a guy like that on the field. Now, the question is, because there's going to be a lot of guys that have 4-3 or, or quick abilities as a safety. That's not exactly what I'm talking about. Again, I watched Nasir Adderley. He supposedly has really good speed, too. I didn't see it. You watch Darnell Savage, and the guy is just everywhere at all times. So in my opinion, they're moving up in the first round to go get Darnell Savage tells me that they believe he has the ability to be that kind of a player. So is he really high on my spreadsheet? No, not at all. But do I care? Not, not so much, no. Interestingly enough, the third guy on the list here is um, higher than the other two. Elton Jenkins, offensive center slash guard out of Mississippi State. I have an 84.4 grade and a first-round grade. I've only got 27 prospects that have first-round grades. Elton Jenkins is one of them. So if this spreadsheet is good for anything, it's telling us that Elton Jenkins is going to be a really good football player. So so there. Then Jay Sternberger, I've got number 89 overall with the third-round grade, so right about where I would have had him. 78.69, close to being very good in and around the same range that I had Dwayne Haskins, Jalen Ferguson, Rodney Anderson, Rodkison, A.J. Brown, right in that range. So again, I'm, I'm really high on him as well. And I'm starting to come around to Rashawn Gary. There's, there's certain things you watch that guy, and it's like, man, if, this, if, if he can put it together, oh, he is going to be so good. So anyways, that's what I got for today. Again, just a brief overview because we've got a lot of days to kind of really grind into um, what there is to know about these guys. I'm sure we'll be learning a lot more over the next couple days. But anyways, that's going to be it for today. Enjoy your Sunday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.